What we do in life echoes in eternity. You will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. From the WSFI studio in Libertyville, Illinois, this is Pro-Life Today with your host, Joe Scheidler. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pro-Life Today on WSFI, that's 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. I'm your host, Joe Scheidler, and today my guest is Ann Scheidler, who is actually going to be the hostess, and I'm the guest. Exactly. We have a little role reversal. We've, We've discovered this is a fun way to do a radio program. We're talking about a book that I've just written called Racketeer for Life. And uh, Anne's going to question me on the book, and I'm going to try to come up with the right answers. Well, working on this book for several years, I think you probably know all the answers uh, to, to what this book is all about, your life as a pro-life activist and what led up to uh, becoming a pro-life activist. Um, but this isn't the first book that y- you wrote, Joe. Your first book was 99 Ways of Closed, 99 Ways to Stop Abortion. And... Uh, as the title would indicate, there were 99 chapters, and they're all all different things a person could do to, um, to 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 try to build the culture of life, to try to turn back the tide on legal abortion. But chapter one, what was chapter one in that book? You know, I don't remember the chapter. Yes, you do. Sidewalk counseling, because <laughs> it was always the first, That's most right. important thing we believed that people should do. Um, That's right. So because the, the rest of the chapters were random. but Right. Sidewalk counseling was how we started, going right out to the clinics, the abortion mm-hmm. mills in Chicago. We found out there were about a dozen of them very quickly. And we would go out there and talk to the women going in. ...were that they didn't have to make this choice, that there was support for them um, because many times women feel like they really don't have any choice and you hear that a lot when you go out in front of an abortion clinic they they feel very um, pressured into ending the pregnancy I, I don't think women ever really want to kill their child they want to end the pregnancy they want to be non-pregnant but they don't really want to walk into an abortion clinic so you um, know one thing that I did I uh, discovered if you could get them to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and you could talk about that you could almost always talk them out of the abortion and besides they couldn't have the abortion anyway if they'd had something to eat (laughs) that's true well sidewalk counseling spread around the country Uh, you know we started doing it in Chicago then different parts of the country different people started doing it and we shared our techniques and figured out what was the most effective way to approach women going into the clinics but evidently between the sidewalk counseling and protests that showed people what abortion really was um, it was hurting the business of the abortion clinic operators and it was causing them to hire security guards to keep us away and security cameras to make sure there weren't any pro-lifers anywhere near their clinics and various laws that interfered with uh, the ability to to sidewalk counsel and to to get up close to abortion mills and uh, Planned Parenthood centers, etc. And so so. about uh, 13 years after Roe v. Wade, uh, suddenly I was uh, handed a notice that I was being sued. Yes. Of all things. Well, initially, 
antitrust. Right. The National Organization for Women, um, because they claimed it was interfering with interstate commerce. Uh, Why? Because you were traveling around the country giving talks on how valuable life was and how people needed to get involved. And the movement was growing. The movement was growing. In fact, we had a lot of meetings with other activists, and we had a pro-life action network all over the country, actually brought in other countries. We had uh, um, from Ireland and England, different, you know, people were wanted to do the activist work and actually talk women out of abortions right there at the, in front of them. Right. Um. Because, of course, laws that protect life are wonderful, but for that woman that's walking into an abortion clinic on any given day, um, the possibility of a law down the road that might might stop her from doing that is it doesn't matter. What matters is today. So we, we try to be there and offer that help right there when it's needed. And then when, uh, when it didn't work, when the antitrust thing fell through, they changed it to racketeering. And we spent a lot of time in court and finally had a seven-week trial uh, as a racketeer. Right. And so uh, that's what this book is about, basically, uh, the racketeer charges and how we fought that. The book is Racketeer for Life, Fighting the Culture of Death from the Sidewalk to the Supreme Court. The sidewalk, of course, referring to what we were just talking about, sidewalk counseling and and other activities on the sidewalk, like our Face the Truth tours. What are the Face the Truth tours, Joe? Well, Face the Truth is actually where you take the pictures of the baby in the womb in the three different stages, trimesters, and then the pictures of the baby aborted at those same periods, uh, the first, second, third trimester. And these are pretty and shocking They're shocking, and they're big, they're big pictures. Uh, we stand out on the street. Uh, there may be uh, 50, 60, 70 people standing along uh, all four directions so that the people driving by have to see what uh, a baby looks like uh, in the womb and then what, it, what abortion does to the baby. Baby and, and are people usually real happy to see these pictures out on the road? Well, you get all kind of reaction. <laughs> and some, some people have actually stopped and joined us and picked That's up a right. picture. And others have thrown things at us and they honk their horns and say bad things. But Even within the pro-life movement, there's controversy about the efficacy of showing what an abortion does to an unborn child. Yeah, but I've always, uh, you know, almost everybody I know, leadership in the pro-life movement, got brought in by seeing what abortion does to a baby. Yeah. I was at a restaurant one time with five other pro-life leaders, and every one of us had gotten into the movement by seeing a baby. I had seen the life and death pamphlet that Jack Wilkie put out, and uh, and uh, even Lila Rose uh, saw the pictures in in the Wilkie book. Lila Rose has done the exposés on Planned Parenthood, right. uh, and she got active because she saw those pictures in Jack Wilkie's handbook on abortion, right. and when she was just a child. Um, yeah, I was surprised when she, well, not really surprised, but it, uh, sort of reaffirmed. Affirmed, yeah, so yeah, to, to find that out. you have to show the pictures. And, uh, well, we're a visual people, and you, you know, many of the other movements that have affected change in America have been caused by um, pictures of of, of, of something that's an evil, something that ab- abuses people, takes advantage of people. and uh, Child labor laws, for instance, 
came into being largely because people saw children at work in coal mines. And right, the little boys sorting through the coal, taking out yeah. the rocks, the so little girls working at looms. Tugs at the heartstrings of people when they actually see the victim of abuse of some sort. Well, I remember at the end of World War II when they got into the camps in uh, all over Europe where they had exterminated the, the Jews and others that disagreed with the Nazi philosophy. Uh, those pictures really told the story of what, what a Holocaust was. Right. And, and then horrified people. Yeah. Um, so that's what we hope um, you know, happens when people see the picture of an unborn baby. It's a very terrible thing to see. But you link that image with the word abortion and you won't forget that abortion is an ugly thing and should never happen to another human being. That's right. It helps to bring about a change in the culture. And in fact, that's worked. Uh, more than 50% of Americans now identify as pro-life. And if you um, ask them about late-term abortions, you're probably up to about 75% of people oh, yes. who think there should be some restrictions. So um, the culture is shifting. It's it's beginning to, uh, to become a more pro-life culture, a culture of life as Pope St. John Paul II. Yeah, you can just see it. from the statistics of Abortions are down from a couple thousand a year to so, you know, it's it's way into the seven hundred. Uh, there's still a lot, but it's nothing like it. Nothing was like it was. So, yeah, we're beginning to win this battle. Well, you know what. Um, one of the of the laws, or a, a type of law, that uh, came about because of the effectiveness of sidewalk counseling were the bubble zone and buffer zone laws that got passed various places around the country. And um, you have in your book uh, a chapter that talks about uh, meeting Justice Scalia at a, uh, a talk he gave one time and discussing the whole... Um, issue of the bubble zones, which the Supreme Court was going to be dealing with. What was that about? Well, I had he'd been given a talk at Wunderlein Seminary, and I went up to him after his talk, and I said, you know, the bubble zone is really a violation of our First Amendment rights, free speech. And he said, well, you can still protest and pick at an abortion clinic 30 feet, 50 feet away. I said, right, you can protest, but you can't convert. You can't uh, talk to the woman. You have to be near her. And he said, uh, we talked to the woman. I said, yeah, we talk her out of the abortion. And he seemed surprised that yeah. we actually were able to do that right in front of the abortion clinic. And so later on, in uh, when they were talking about bubble zones, he brought up that uh, that exact argument yeah. that uh, these people, these pro-lifers, need to talk to the woman. And uh, I think that was the oral argument in the uh, McCullough versus Coakley right. case. Right, in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, yeah. So... Uh, he he was a great man, and we, we and of course that case uh, was decided in favor of those sidewalk counselors in Massachusetts, and the thirty-five foot buffer zone was eliminated and declared unconstitutional. That's right, but then we, we it's not unconstitutional for us here in Chicago. No, but Justice Scalia included in his concurring opinion uh, a comment that that leads us to believe he he wanted us to uh, bring another case, right. wanted someone to bring another case that would get rid of the last remaining bubble zones that they didn't uh, outlaw at the Supreme Court level. So 
there is one going on in uh, filed in the federal court in Chicago, filed against the city of Chicago for the bubble zone ordinance that we have here. And perhaps that'll be the one that uh, gets rid of the rest of the bubble zone laws in the country. Wouldn't that be something to come that, from Chicago? Yeah, that would be a, a definite victory because when you can be in front of those clinics, you can save lives. Yes, you do. You do. Uh, people don't realize how, and, and the people who are talked out of the abortion are forever grateful. Oh, they are, they, yeah. They're some of, the, some of my best friends, really, I hate to put it that way, but <laughs> are people that we talked out of. Abortion. Yeah, they're so grateful to have their children's lives saved. Right. See how beautiful they are. Well, it looks like we need to take a little break here. Yeah, we have to take a short break, Pro-Life Today. I'm Joe Scheidler. We'll be right back to continue our conversation with my wife, Ann, on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Once again, be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. Okay, here we are back. I'm Joe Scheidler. This is Pro-Life Today on WSFI. That's 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. I'm talking with my wife, Anne, and we're discussing a book I've just put out uh, called Racketeer for Life. And I'm playing host, and you're playing guest. That's right. <laughs> A theme that runs through Racketeer for Life is the uh, the whole uh, Now versus Scheidler racketeering trial. Um, the RICO lawsuit brought by the National Organization for Women because uh, it was costing them money to deal with the pro-lifers and they saw you as the, uh, the kingpin of this organized uh, effort to stop abortion, to close abortion clinics, and keep women from going into those clinics. Yeah, I think their idea was to make a, an example, uh, take one of the leaders and uh, cost them a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of energy, effort, and so on, and uh, then maybe more people or fewer people would become activists. 
but it didn't work, did it? No, it just backfired. It, it backfired on him. Um, but uh, it was an interesting experience uh, going for those seven weeks and sitting in that federal court in Judge David Kaur's courtroom. Um, uh, one two. of the things that you have in your book is uh, uh, a little story about how you dealt with uh, just as being there and the little shrine you constructed to uh, to help you pray throughout the That's right. Uh, well, I was there with Tim Murphy and Andy Schulberg. They were fellow uh, they defendants, were defendants, fellow racketeers. We're all sitting behind this big uh, stack of books, of legal books of some kind. And so uh, we built a little shrine to the Blessed Mother, and I brought a statue, and we'd have our rosaries out there because a lot of, of the proceedings were boring as watching paint dry. So we would say the rosary and uh, had our shrine, and nobody knew. We had them. We had guests come up and sit with us, and they could go see the shrine. But the judge, the, ju- couldn't. the jury, couldn't see the shrine. I suspect the judge had seen it, but uh, he he knew the jury couldn't see it. So I guess it was okay. Yeah, we kept that for. A you while. Can't have any praying in the federal court, right? <laughs> no, but then they took the books away, <laughs> and we had to keep our shrine uh, in our out of sight and we had people who would come every day and sit in the back row of the gallery and pray pastors and pro-life activists people were wonderful uh, the, the courtroom was always packed and uh, we had a lot of a lot of uh, our supporters come in and people came from from out of state and it uh, the trial last what was it seven weeks it was seven weeks yeah um, and another thing you bring out in the book and in, in telling about uh, events at the trial was having family members sit with you at the defendant's table because of course we have seven children and they would come different ones on different days and uh, join you at the defendant table as a support uh, you know and they're also good looking that we uh, have to admit our children are really good looking yeah. <laughs> And finally, the uh, opposition decided to, to ask the judge not to allow. Yeah, they complained. They complained. It didn't fit with their image of this big man, racketeer guy, intimidating little women to have pretty girls sitting next to him. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was a strange uh, seven weeks, and uh, we were, of course, found guilty. Remember, six to nothing. <laughs> yes, so it was a unanimous we, decision. So then we started the, the running through the courts and all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled eight to one in our favor, that we were not guilty of racketeering, and yet it came down and was not accepted. Yeah, and we had to. But go. that second trip to the Supreme Court, which was our taking it to the Supreme Court, because we had lost. You were declared a racketeer in the federal court on right. April twentieth, nineteen ninety-eight. Then went to the appeals court in the Northern District of Illinois, and they affirmed that decision. You were still a racketeer. Uh, actually, it took Judge Core fourteen months to issue his opinion after the jury had had uh, issued its verdict. That's right. So, you know, that that that's one of the reasons that it takes so long <laughs> to get through a uh, federal trial or any kind of, kind of trial, I suppose. But um, that first, uh, or our second trip, actually, to the Supreme Court um, was a really interesting uh, experience. Um, for one thing, it's quite awesome to sit in that courtroom. 
uh, which includes a freeze of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Right. Uh, interestingly enough, um, it's a very impressive room. And then all those justices file in and sit up there on a very high dais uh, in front of you. But there was one particular um, moment, well, actually a couple of them, uh, which you describe in the book, too. But one was where uh, the, the now attorney, um, Faye Clayton, uh, I think it was Justice uh, Scalia, asked her uh, what her definition of extortion was. And she said if you uh, you had to um, use force, uh, she tried to make it seem as if you were really uh, beating up on people in front of abortion clinics. And uh, I remember Justice Scalia saying, didn't you say that if the protesters sitting in front of a clinic didn't part like the Red Sea, they were guilty of extortion, and she said, "Oh no, Your Honor." Uh, <laughs> and then what did he do, Joe? <laughs> well, he read it back to her. She had said it <laughs> right out of the transcript right from out the, of the transcript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I think at that 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 point we we felt pretty good about the probable outcome. I said to Tom, "We've won." And then there was another um, inst- uh, a moment in that same um, oral argument where Ted Olson, who was the Solicitor General, and he was arguing the case on behalf of the government of the United States, which came in um, on the side of, of the National Organization for Women with regard to issuing an injunction to keep people away from the clinics. But on our side, on the issue of whether there would be money damages to be paid. But he said something um, about the, uh, the uh, Judge Justice Kennedy said something about the First Amendment. And Ted Olson, what did Ted Olson say? This is not a First Amendment case. I know. And Kennedy, yeah. Kennedy, who was not known to be a, a real friend of the pro-life movement, says, it's a protest case. Of course it's First Amendment. Yeah. And that was enough. It was interesting to see the court reacting to one another. It was. A very it was. It was. Um, it's an experience so, I wouldn't have missed. No, it was. It was definitely worth doing. Uh, the whole experience was worth doing, and I, and I think um, we could really feel the fact that so many people were praying for us. I, I don't think there was ever a time that we were actually particularly worried about the outcome, whatever it might have been. I never worried about it, and I didn't. I didn't mind when that they changed it to racketeering. Uh, you know, that was kind of a. Coming from Chicago, the city of crime, exactly. And yeah, it, you felt right at home. And actually, you almost wanted to admit being guilty because if what we were doing was preventing the abortion clinics from making money and preventing babies from being killed and preventing women from having abortions, we're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's our crime. That's our goal. Remember, we had uh, pins made that said "Racketeers for Life." Right. And, uh, yeah. You still see those once in a while. Black and white. Remember the anonymous witnesses in that trial? Oh, yes. Tell us a little bit about some of those folks. Well, they were Miss Hollywood. Yeah, what? what? 
they were people that had been trained and they lied like rugs but you couldn't get their names they would yeah uh, and so, no and one's ever heard of anonymous witnesses but we had them we that's all we had <laughs> and and we went along with it because we were going to have some witnesses who had had babies out of wedlock and so on people women we had talked out of abortion and we didn't think they wanted their names used and so we went along with what turned out to be a big mistake yeah because then they had all their witnesses were anonymous and you couldn't check up on them after the trial tim murphy went out to california and checked up on miss hollywood yeah well tell, tell your tell our listeners a little bit we don't have a lot of time but miss hollywood what what was her claim well she said that she was uh, uh carried across the crowd and uh, people were hitting her and they had signs and she talked about these big blue and white signs well the blue and white signs are the national organization yeah they're the pro-abort signs the pro-abort signs so if she was if she was having any trouble it was with the pro-aborts but uh, she she was all mixed up but as i say we couldn't uh, we couldn't disprove it there in the courtroom but i remember when tim did go back and and found the footage of all the news coverage of of the uh, protest at the clinic that day even the the uh, news commentators talked about how peaceful right. the demonstrations were so the, she had made the whole thing up but you couldn't refute it because no. we didn't know who she was no we were listening intently as to yeah. what we had not done and that uh they, they, it was all made up i mean doesn't this sound like a book you ought to order right now uh, racketeer for life fighting the culture of death from the sidewalk to the supreme court you can get it from the pro-life act League's website, prolifeaction.org, or you can call the League office at 773-777-2900 and order a Racketeer for Life. Joel autograph for you, won't you, Joe? I'd be glad to, and I'll put a, a little message in there, you know, that I, I'm glad you bought the book, and I hope you enjoy it. And it, You know, it's, it's a piece of American history, really, because uh, the pro-life movement is an integral part of American history at this point. It's longer than I wanted it to be, but I cut it in half, So, but there was just a lot, a lot going there. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Thanks again to my guest and my wife, Ann Scheidler. Uh, join us next week on Pro Life Today as we will be praying to Lynn uh, for all of us at WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. I'm Joe Scheidler. Thanks for listening. and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, beloved Lord Jesus, I pray today that, that you would find and open and heal all known and hidden negative images, unhealthy beliefs, destructive cellular and generational memories, harmful actions, unforgiveness, and wrong perceptions, whether experienced, witnessed, imagined, dreamed, or even inherited or absorbed. And I pray that, that all the, the physical issues that come from these negative, destructive images would now be healed, and especially for those who are suffering in their bodies and minds. And I ask you, Lord, to fill each one of us with the love and the life and the light of your presence. I ask you to break in us any unhealthy soul ties, curses, vows and contracts, especially for involvement in New Age practices, heretical practices, 
I ask you to magnify the effectiveness of this healing right now to the maximum level for our highest good at an optimal pace. I ask you to restore everything in our minds, body, soul, and spirit to your intended design. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your willingness and your ability to do all these things. By your wounds, we are healed, and you are the God who heals us. Amen. This is Ann Scheidler. My husband Joe has just written his memoir of 44 years as a pro-life activist called Racketeer for Life, Fighting the Culture of Death from the Sidewalk to the Supreme Court. If you'd like to read what it's like to protest in front of an abortion clinic or to sit in a federal court accused of racketeering, get Joe's book. Go to prolifeaction.org to order your copy. And he'll autograph it for you. That's prolifeaction.org. <laughs> 